Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Cherry is in! Forearm direct to the net. That's high degree of danger. Finn Russell has got a red card. Hastings, oh, they're going to do it, are they? Van der Merwe, oh, yes! <laughs> Hello and welcome back to the Thistle Scottish Rugby Podcast. The Six Nations is done and Scotland managed to finish fourth despite winning away from home against England and France and then absolutely drubbing Italy. We're going to be looking back across the whole tournament a little bit of a state of the nation, as well as looking ahead to the European rugby coming up this weekend for Glasgow and Edinburgh. And of course, the start of the Women's Six Nations. It is an absolutely bumper show and joined as ever by Big Al and Matt. Big Al, how are you doing? Uh, yeah, I'm all right. Looking forward to the to the Easter weekend. It's uh, no. I don't know where I'm going with this. Um, have you, um, Alan? Have you have you recovered since your uh, the drubbing that you took on social media today? Yeah, getting absolutely wrecked online. A couple of like haters coming at me. What what were they saying? So you you start every answer with potentially. Yeah, I suppose I use the phrase potentially when making like quite definitive points. It's <laughs> a, a fair criticism, and then. When I'm agreeing with you, I start all the com- start all of them, my kind of sentences with the word no, which obviously... Yeah, we all know uh, that. That is true. That's become a recurring theme of this podcast. Yeah. And to be fair, I think that potentially has, um, has been raised like at work by, by people before where I go, potentially, you're completely <laughs> wrong. 
<laughs> I think it's quite, quite good. Like that. It's just like always leaving yourself that wiggle room to be like, yeah. I, didn't, I, I didn't commit to that. That wasn't. I said potentially. Yeah. I said potentially we could have a scout in Japan. I didn't think you'd actually go and do it. You know, <laughs> SRU. What the, what the hell are you talking about? Um, well, and obviously Matt's there, just sort of um, catching us up on all the um, social media abuse that Alan has been taking, and that is social media abuse that you can find on our Twitter at Thistle Rugby Pod. Um, or if you want to abuse us on Instagram, that's thistle understroke rugby understroke pod. If you prefer a long form of abuse, that is on um, the emails, the thistle rugby at gmail.com. Um, and then obviously you can sign up to our newsletter as well, which comes out every week. That's on Substack, Thistle Scottish Rugby Podcast. Sign up for that. We had a record week of subscribers this week. So thank you very much for everyone who's subscribing to that. Uh, and we will be in, in your inbox every week. Uh, and one final piece of housekeeping from us before we get into all the rugby action is... Uh, something we've been doing throughout the Six Nations as a way for you guys to show a little bit of support if you want to uh, for the pod. You can buy us a coffee. That's uh, buymeacoffee.com forward slash thistle. Um, and you can leave us a, a, a few quid towards a pint of tenants or a, a bottle of WKD when we do finally unlock and we can all meet in fingers. Thank you very much this week to at the Embra Express who um, sent us a little bit of money and he said, by my calculations, this should get us, get the three of you plus one significant other, a WKD blue each to enjoy outside your local Tesco's. I can think of no better way of thanking you for your consistently high quality content. So thank you very much to Ember Express. We will be um, meeting, I think maybe the Tesco's Metro at the top of Leith Walk you know, sort of opposite the Omni Center. That could be quite a nice venue for a few WKDs when we're allowed to meet up, guys. What do you think? It's a good, good Tesco, that. Yeah, well, that's where we're going to be. Everyone is, of course, invited. So thank you very much, obviously, for all of your support throughout the Six Nations. That is the admin side of the pod done. So you can stop hitting the 15-second skip button. Now we're getting right into the news. Let's start with Edinburgh re-signing Henry Pergos and Charlie Shield, sort of uh, finalizing their scrum half lineup for next year with Ben Velikot coming in. Um, Alan, what do you make of those two um, re-signings for Edinburgh? Um, fine. I think... Charlie Shields probably not kicked on as much as we'd hoped this year. And obviously Pergos, we, we all know what he can do, but I think his, his sort of performances have, have definitely sort of um, peaked a couple of years ago. It, it'd be interesting next year with Pergos, Shields and Velikot, because it's kind of in a similar vein to potentially sort of the Glasgow 10 situation. It's not really clear which one's going to be first choice. It's, it's interesting because it's uh, a position that, has probably been like one of a bit of weakness at Edinburgh in the last couple of years. I'd say you'd probably say that about the halfbacks in, in general. And when Nick Groom came along, probably in quite a similar way to Simon Hickey, kind of thought, right, well, this is a guy who's presumably on a decent amount of money. He's experienced um, sort of, you know, both super rugby and Northern Hemisphere premiership rugby as well. Like he's going to be the guy that makes... Edinburgh's attack really click and for whatever reason it it hasn't really worked I I, I slightly worry about I think Ben Velikot is a really exciting player in the same way that Charlie Shield could be I just do worry about 
how their style of play fits in with Edinburgh's overall game plan. And probably Pergos does suit their game plan better, but he is he, he's a capable player, but he is limited and he's he's getting older, right? Surely part of the rationale is that Velikot's going to come in, the SRU, sorry, the Scotland setup have clearly got an eye on him. Um, so maybe they're thinking Velikot comes in as the de facto number one with a sort of a, a rotation of Shiel and Pergos as the sort of the, the options um, who can also, it's unlikely that Shiel and Pergos will be involved with Scotland. So you know, Shiel's, been brought, the, Shiel's been brought into a few camps, true. to be fair. Probably more than Velikot, actually. Well, Velikot's never been in has, anyway, has Yeah, exactly. hasn't. Just just England. Yeah, there was there was the one time that it was rumoured that Velikot had kind of agreed to Scotland, but then Eddie Jones made that phone call and said that he was interested in coming. And they called up um, Nathan, Nathan Fowles. Yeah. And Nathan Fowles was the only person out of um, alphabetical order in the Scotland team sheet because it was right. so last minute. That was a great day. That was a great. That was a great day to think Nathan Fowles got a Scotland call up. That is uh, wild to say the least. I was going to say, um, did you see um, Munster were pretty close to signing Peter Steff to Toy, but they uh, they didn't. I did see that. Yeah, they didn't. Oh, really? they, didn't they didn't complete it, and they said supposedly a private individual had offered to pay six hundred thousand euros for uh, to pay his salary. So about half a million. I was like, I genuinely think Peter Steff to Toy. Glasgow, that he would be the best man ever for Glasgow. There's got to be like Tom Farmer or Brian Suter. There's got to be some like they found a rich lad to pay for Ross Ford back in the day. Like <laughs> that, some rich that was guy. Aberdeen, that was Aberdeen Asset Management. Aberdeen Asset Management. No wonder the share price has been bombing. They spent <laughs> 300 grand on Ross Ford. We got 500 grand from Peter Steph to Toy. <laughs> Where's the money? Explaining the uh, the ROI on Ross Ford to the investors, <laughs> like what the hell's gone on here? Standard life, like looking at like potential <laughs> risks on the merger. They're like, oh god, the Ross Ford debt. <laughs> um, well, we will wait with uh, bated breath to see how Edinburgh's scrum halves gel next year. But it looks like the squads are shaking down for how they're going to look um, into the next campaign. Um, other bit of news to cover off before we get into the Six Nations reviews. To look forward to um, some more fantastic rugby coming up. The Women's Six Nation kicks off this week. Um, Scotland have got England first up. England have been pretty dominant in this tournament uh, for a long, long time. But Matt, what what do you think Scotland? What can we expect from Scotland in this tournament? I think their last outing was a fantastic draw versus France. So you know what what can we expect from from the side? Yeah, I, th- I think it's a mix of those established names uh, that, that we've come to be quite familiar with. So you've got Rachel Malcolm as, as um, sort of the captain of the side, and then you've got experience throughout like Helen Nelson, uh, Hannah Smith, Lisa Thompson, um, Lana Skeldon, for instance, like Chloe Rowley, like really good players who probably would be pushing, you know, to, to get into an England or a France team. Um, and then I think at the same time, um, Gary Heatley, friend of the pod wrote a really good piece on talking rubber union that sort of did a, a deep dive into some of the new names that are all really interesting. They kind of come from, so, so names that he, he mentioned were got Evie Gallagher from, from Stirling County, um, Evie Wills, who's also from Stirling County, then Shona Campbell, Edinburgh uni, 
and Saracen centre Corian Grant, who are all um, sort of less experienced players, but sound really exciting. Um, I, the thing, the thing I like about when you look at these sort of newcomers is it's probably quite different to newcomers into the Scotland squad, where there's quite a set path. Whereas in with with the the women's side, you've got players who sort of come from universities, from um, from more sort of Scottish club game as well, rather than like the academy system, for instance. So I think that with a, a base of those experienced people and some of the newcomers, although England away is, is you know, extremely difficult, not insurmountable as maybe France showed, extremely difficult. Like I think there, there seems a pretty good buzz around the camp. And then in, turn, in terms of formats, so what, we're going to play England away this week and then in two weeks' time they've got Italy at home and then they'll play whoever came, well, whoever is their respective opposite team in the other pool. Yeah, so it's like it's like a pool system. So there's, yeah, England, Italy and Scotland in pool A and then pool B is France, Ireland and and Wales. Um, I mean, it's, it, it's interesting that the first game against England has been played in Doncaster rather than the Twickenham Stoop where I think they normally play which maybe works in Scotland's favour it's like less of a daunting venue I suppose somewhere where they, they've they're sort of you know they've maybe gone to the Twickenham Stoop a lot of times and uh, played through a lot of losses or maybe expected to lose so I think that adds another interesting dynamic to things It'd be interesting I guess from a women's rugby perspective obviously a lot of the sort of big names now play down in England. I wonder if, you know, obviously potentially COVID t- takes a hit to this, whether Scotland would ever enter a team in the sort of Premier 15s. Mm. It feels like that would be a sort of natural step in terms of trying to get, I, I guess, either an Edinburgh or a Glasgow, not full-time team, but some form of sort of semi-pro team to, to line up in, in that sort of league. Well, uh well, we can chat about. Maybe that's the th- that's, that couldn't be the third pro Next. team. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> maybe, third, maybe maybe we've been uh, talking about the third pro team all wrong. It's actually going to be a women's team. Yeah. Um, well, very exciting, and um, we will be following that throughout the tournament and keeping up to speed with the uh, with the women's game. So lots and lots of stuff to look forward to. Um, but for now, we are going to look back at the campaign that was obviously a fantastic. Last gasp win for Scotland in Paris last Friday night. The 85th minute, Duhan van der Merde crossing for his second try of the game and to give Scotland their third win of the campaign. Matt, three wins, breaking hoodoos like they're going out of fashion. First win in England since 84. First win in Paris since 99. What can Scotland take away from this tournament? Because at the end of the day, they still finished fourth. Yeah, I, I agree. And that obviously, obviously that's, that's the outcome. Maybe that doesn't look great on paper. Um, and, you know, I, it doesn't feel that long ago that post Ireland where the performance and result was so deflating that we were sort of looking at this six nations as a bit of a lost cause. But then when you, take a step back and, and maybe it's sort of basking in the light of that France win. You know, we were four points off beating Ireland. We were a red card away from beating Wales, arguably quite comfortably. Um, Italy was a professional job, obviously. And then 
you've got breaking these records against England and, and France um, and doing so through with, uh, with like really amazing performances. They weren't sort of fluky games that we won in a kick fest or anything. Um, yeah, maybe it's just the French game that sort of, I don't know, improved the mood somewhat. But I, I think on a lot of levels, we should be pretty happy with the outcome in the end. Alan, is this the start of the roaring 20s that we've been waiting for? Yeah, it's an, in, it's an interesting one. It's it's a sort of, I guess, nuanced view that whilst it was a really good um, performance at the same time, it does feel like that missed opportunity. You know, ultimately, you know, forgetting Grand Slams for a second, obviously we, I think Scott Cummins scores that try at the end of the Wales game and you you know, could argue we would would have won the Six Nations because um, I think that puts you sort of three scores ahead, and uh, you sort of take it from there. I think I think it's hard to argue that we missed out on sort of a Grand Slam because I think when you actually look back on the Ireland game, I think it's hard to hard to argue that we deserve to really win that game. I think yeah. that three point loss actually paints kind of the Scotland performance in a much better light than it actually was. Um, but no, I mean, look, as I said I think ultimately what we've got to be happy with is. You know, even up to the point, even close to when we sort of, maybe not when we started this pod, but up until about 2014, 2015, there was ultimately four really, really good teams. There was one okay, t- okay team, which is Scotland, and then there was Italy. And I think now we we have kind of properly bridged that gap. And there is ultimately sort of five teams that feel like on their day can all beat one another. And I think it's good, you know, probably for the first time in our, our lives that we can remember anyway, um, that we've really sort of had that situation. Yeah, absolutely. And we put it out on Twitter. That's at Thistle Rugby Pod, asking for your three-word reviews of the tournament and you've not let us down. Andy White, so very nearly. Um, True Scotsman, Jammy Welsh Reds, which I quite enjoyed. David McIntosh, huge missed opportunity. And Colin Finlayson, potential yet again we also asked for your player of the tournament and it was pretty unanimous uh we did a poll that had over three thousand votes and with 72 percent hamish watson was uh your the thistle listeners um player of the tournament matt we've talked an awful lot about hamish watson um i mean over the last three years where he's been you know putting in amazing performances for scotland and edinburgh this seems to be the tournament where he's sort of um, broken through into, I guess, international um, recognition. Yeah, I, I think he was always on the cusp of, of that, of being that world-class player. And probably as Scotland fans, we all thought that he was already at that level. But it is great to see him get that recognition no- nominated for player of the tournament, for instance. I think the impressive thing was even in the... Ireland and maybe the second half of the Wales game where Scotland were playing poorly, he was the guy that really stood out. Uh, And also against France at times when Scotland were maybe faltering, he seemed to be the guy who takes the game by the scruff of the neck, leads by example, and just seems so sort of cussed and, and stubborn in the way that he plays. And it just takes one of those big carries to seemingly lift the rest of the team. Um, and I think it's really impressive how he's how he's done that. And I think even against, you know, the more physical teams like 
France and England because there is this slight sense. People say he's maybe a bit too small. Like he seems to absolutely relish that. And particularly against France, I felt that he was running at the bigger guys and just bouncing off them, running through, making yards every single time. And think, it was just, it was class to see. Do you think there's an argument to suggest that he was the weakest of the three back rows in the France game? Um, or do you, and I, the reason I argue that is I think, interesting. I think for the French, for the France game was Jamie Rich's strongest game of mm-hmm. the Six Nations by by quite a considerable margin. I think, you know, both in terms of the stats, you know, he was one of the top tacklers, a couple of turnovers, etc. I think he had a real sort of impactful performance. Nick Haining is the best number eight in the world. <laughs> he, everyone was going on about Watson's sort of meters made, but Haining was really by far out of all the players on the pitch made the most yards. He was under the high balls. He was fantastic he was getting he was getting himself around the park and we sort of talked about this in the island game nick haining feels to me like the sort of guy who's he appears to have these like 40 minute like world-class stints like yeah. the first half against ireland yeah. he was unbelievable and for about 45 50 minutes of this match he was absolutely class insane if the lions just pick lions just pick tomorrow nick haining and dave cherry are on the plane <laughs> on form can't can't leave them at home yeah I mean, I mean, Watson still did. Jamie Lyle yeah. posted the the stats like thirteen out of thirteen tackles made, three tackles broken, seventeen carries, seventeen meters. A lot of people have this stat now, like zero penalties conceded. I'm like, I, I don't care. I don't know. Is that a good stat? Yeah, I, again, I yeah, I probably agree that there is some penalties that you're at fault for, but there is also quite a few especially if you're not like a front row where ultimately it's kind of, I guess if, you know, it's more, I guess it's more penalties conceded in a, actually mate, now I'm thinking about it, I guess outside of maybe just holding on the floor or being turned over, I guess penalties conceded is quite an important one. Yeah. Maybe for a, a seven who's competing at a lot of breakdowns, it do, it does become an important stat. Although you could argue that, if you've had a game of zero penalties conceded, you haven't been applying enough pressure at the breakdown. Agreed. I guess it depends on the penalties. So obviously in that Welsh game, Gary Graham gave three, conceded three penalties. None of them uh, to do with... Com- was Gary. So Gary. Gary. That was so bleak. What did you do to the Grand Slam, Gary? <laughs> oh, no. Gary. Poor Gary. <laughs> um, but I'm, just yeah. looking at, I'm just looking at Haining's stats. He was 13 carries for 56 metres. What? <laughs> Making Hamish Watson look like a joke with 18 carries for 24. Yeah. And to be, he, he genuinely, like, he, when he walked off the, the pitch, he genuinely looked like he'd been in Basra, like battle. He was <laughs> broken. He'd given everything, which I, I love, you know. He, he, yeah. he was shipped in, you know, he obviously was going to be on the bench, but, you know, he was shipped in against, you know, Aldrit, who you could argue is, you know, one of not the best number eight in the world and mm. absolutely did him. I just think there's something about Haining as well. He just kind of, he doesn't necessarily look like even a rugby player. He's quite lanky and he maybe has a bit of a gormless look about him. So when he pitches up, you kind of, you're surprised by when he does these things that ultimately he obviously can do and is paid to do. What I find amazing is where do those performances come from? Because he doesn't play for Edinburgh. 
He, I know. Very, he very seldom plays club rugby. And then he's just, he's, he's drafted in and he's sort of these energy stores for international rugby. He just needs to like recharge them every six months. Well, there's always this, you know, you've always got to go back to the fact that in 2013, he started on the wing for Western Force against the Lions. That's <laughs> mad. <laughs> like, compl- I know obviously we chat a bit about Richie Vernon, but, you know, wing, wing to number eight and to go from being a wing in Australia to being sort of a number eight against sort of France's Six Nations, a pretty unbelievable transition. So, so the next player who will have played against and for the Lions is Nick Haining. <laughs> Nick Haining, the ultimate bolter. The thing is, Warren Gatlin should be allowed one pick purely on narrative, and that is actually a great narrative pick. That's true. That's, that's good enough for a full double-page spread in a Sunday newspaper. Like, 100%. If the PR department's picking one player, surely it's that. Um, I, I guess just sticking on the fours for a second, you know, there's not many of those forwards who had a bad game on mm. on the weekend. I think Skinner was really, really strong. Grant Gilchrist in D was absolutely throwing himself about. Agreed. Um, thought he really, really, I was a bit worried and I thought he really stepped up and I think potentially clear that, you know, he does seem like he's, it's, it's hard to judge from the outside, but it does maybe feel like he is the premier kind of line-out operator yeah. in Scottish rugby. He just Definitely. sort of comes across as very much like a leader. And and then I know we sort of talked about it a bit in, um, on WhatsApp, but Xander Ferguson just really sort of stepping up, having been out for a few weeks and, and having what, what I think is a performance that might put him into the Lions. Yeah, yeah. and I think we'll, we'll come on to talk a little bit about the Lions. I, I had one question for you guys, and I think I, I, I'm playing the sort of the devil's advocate. And we've always, there's lots, after the Ireland game, there was a lot of talk of tuning out again, Allen in. Um, and obviously that's now dissipated after the fantastic result against France. Fair enough. All on board with that. But what have we learned about this Scotland team that I guess we didn't already know? You know, we were as inconsistent in this tournament as we have been throughout the whole of Tooney's, you know, reign, capable of phenomenal moments, but also, you know, hugely frustrating losses. You know, you know, is it just the, you know, the the order of these results, is that covering up still quite a lot of frailties in this Scotland team? Or do you think we've actually moved on as a unit? Either one of you can come in on that. I think that Ireland game still highlights Mm. a weakness in this Scotland team, which I don't know if it's necessarily Tooney. I I think it's potentially, you know, just a little bit of the players he has his disposal at his disposal and that potentially the performance on the day. But, you know, ultimately when Ireland got a grip of that game and the four pack was really sort of asserting its control, Scotland looked a little bit, still looked bereft of ideas. And Finn starts to sort of panic a little bit. And I think it's, I know I, again, we're sort of saying this position when we did get back into the game and we were drawing with sort of five minutes to go. But, against that team like Ireland who have got someone at 10 who can kick the corners and it can really just kind of continue to continuously apply that pressure. I think Scotland do still massively struggle. Yeah. And I, I think that in that game in particular, the fact that Johnny Gray, who had had such a good game against England um, and even Wales and has been playing so well for Exeter could still be outshone by a James Ryan and Ian Henderson who a lot of people had probably been writing off in recent weeks. 
and the same about Sexton versus Russell. I, I think we're just great examples of that in action. I can't decide if we're like too zeroed in on Scotland, and that's why I think sometimes we get quite negative about players, especially in the Lions, or whether you know that is actually just how it's going to be. And Gatland will ultimately pick Tagburn, Ian Henderson, and James Ryan ahead of Johnny Gray. You know, ultimately we we look at Johnny mm. Gray and we focus on the fact that we don't. Fo- I know I do this. I, I'm now focusing on the fact that he had that bad game against, or not a bad game, but he was probably outplayed against Ireland. Yeah. And then when it comes to the Irish players, we don't consider the fact that they obviously lost the games preceding. James Ryan hasn't been on good form, etc. And it's, um, but again, it does it does feel, and again, whether this is true or not, that that Ireland game is exactly the sort of game that Gatlin's going to look at in terms of who who he wants when facing up against South Africa. Mm. But then at the same time, I think in, in some senses, the the English and the French packs are quite similar to Ireland. Like they're, they're big, they're physical, they place a lot of emphasis on the set piece. And ultimately Scotland, you know, I think against England dominated that pack and France got parity. And they're both... Uh, I think the the slight thing I worry about is that the winning away from home narrative gets slightly weakened by the fact there haven't been crowds. Um, and that might count against some of the players. Yeah. But at the same time, like, I don't know, it, Wales and Ireland have both won away from home against Scotland. And I feel like that would probably count in their favour. Yeah, it's certainly going to be a, a, a big consideration in that, you know, away from home narrative, um, I believe is probably overblown. And it's something that Gatlin said, like, was it four years ago? Probably more than four years ago now. But it's been that sort of one recurring thing that, you know, Scots like us cling on to. We talked an awful lot about the forward pack there, you know, through the through the tournament, particularly focusing on the France game, you know, one player whose stock has risen faster than GameStop or Dogecoin in the Six Nations is Chris Harris. And, you know, that performance he put in on Friday night um, up against Vakatawa, you know, completely silencing him and, you know, putting in a phenomenal defensive shift. You know, do you think Chris Harris is now won over all of the Scotland fans and is it enough you know, to perhaps nudge himself onto a Lions position, Matt? I think he's definitely won over the vast majority of Scotland fans. And I think against Italy, obviously, Hugh Jones had that start and showed what he was capable of. But it was only Italy and he wasn't tested at that level. And Harris, once again, against you know big physical opposition, against decent 13s, was pretty solid. Well, really solid in defense. And there's just something about him that I think seems to instill confidence in the, in the rest of the team. And it's not just his um, sort of one-on-one tackling his, his defensive reads of the situation, his ability to go soft. And also he's, he's pretty good at the breakdown as well. I think just probably saves Scotland or, or stops other teams from scoring points at big moments in in the match. Um, There was one moment against France where they had a sort of three or four man overlap that he 
um, sort of shepherded quite well towards the touchline and then gained the turnover that I think just kind of summed up his value to that team. And and I almost think if you have a Scotland backline that has Duhan, Hogg, and Finn, for instance, as your big attacking threats, then you can almost afford to have someone who maybe can't do what Hugh Jones can do, but offers you, you know, solidity and, and defense that's as good as anyone's. It's the whole Dave Rennie argument. I know there was that piece where Hugh Jones was sort of asking why it wasn't the team, and Dave Rennie was like, I've generally got enough superstars. <laughs> I yeah. need people that are going to do the grunt work, <laughs> which, you know, similar thing. You've got George Horn, Finn, Hogg, Tommy Seymour. It's kind of like, I need a 13 that can just like do the basics and, def- and lead the defense. Um, although, and again, I, I agree, I think Harris has been really good and you know we've I think ever since sort of autumn 2017 when he first came on the scene we've we've not been fully sort of bowled over but I think probably this Six Nations is the first time where we're probably all admit fully admitting that we're like right yeah Harris is Harris is actually really good <laughs> and it's probably yeah. exactly what Scotland yeah do, do need I I still think and I'll get shouted down for for days but I still think there is a Hugh Jones Harris combo in that centers that could work <laughs> and people... that's the stuff we need to see on the summer tour this year. Just test it out in uh, in Romania. Is that why? Why didn't we try it against against Italy? I appreciate obviously Sam Johnson. Probably you want to yeah. keep giving him. Game he, was, time. he was coming back from injury as well. Yeah. Would you then, Would you rather have Jones or Redpath? Well, that was what I was going to say. I feel I feel like Red. Everyone's like, oh, Redpath is sort of the. The kind of new new kid on the block, and he's he's literally had one game, and and then just sort of got, and then sort of um, not not been seen again, which obviously is really really disappointing. I believe I believe he's back in non-contact training with Bath, so I expect that means he's sitting on a spin bike or doing some stretching. Yeah, he's, he's on his he's on his way back to back to playing. I think one of those sort of. I think we'd heard it as some sort of like nerve injury in his neck, which I guess is just one of those things that takes a really long time to to heal, as opposed to you know like a muscle tear, which is just a little bit more predictable, perhaps. The video that we sort of um, tweeted today, where Cam Redpath's chatting about that uh, that near try for Duhan in the England game, was a really was actually quite yes. a, there was I think the the commentary and to and to give it sort of a bit of context, it's it was the the move in the um, Scotland England game where Scotland had a five meet a scrum on the England five meter line, and England down to fourteen men. England down to forty men. Price passed a red path. Red path put it behind Harris to Finn and Finn crossfield to Duhan, who nearly scored. And red path said that Finn just before the play was like, "Oh, if you want to kick it, no worries." Or if you're in, if you just kick it if it's on, and it's like, was there no set play? This is a scrum <laughs> on the England five. What do you mean, just kick it if it's on? Like, I thought there'd be, a... <laughs> but, but also he, he in in the way he that Redpath got the ball and moved, it looked like he the whole plan was that he was meant to take it to the line, and then Harris is coming in on that short dummy and he's putting it in behind. Yeah, I wonder. I'm, I'm not. I'm not quite sure what the only other kick option I su- I suppose would be. Har- Redpath takes it to the line. Finn comes in round the back, and he puts a grubber into the uh, dead ball zone for Harris. Yeah. And I wonder whether what actually happened was the set move, 
but what Finn was saying was basically, if it's on for you to grubber through, back yourself. Which I like. Like that's yeah. that's what we. I think that's what rugby players should be able to do, right? Yeah. And clearly, Red Pat. Uh, clearly, Finn was like, "You know what you're doing. You can. You got like good skills and good insight into Finn's brain. leadership style. Just like, yeah, crack on, <laughs> Luke. That's he's, tr- he's trusting him. He's giving him responsibility. Yeah, on his first, on his first cat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Red Path leaked up, and he was like, "Absolutely no fucking way!" And just passed yeah. it back. <laughs> he's yeah. like, "We will do this," which it was the right decision, right? Because mm. Do- mm. Duhan was absolutely. If, if that was executed well, Duhan was yeah. in the corner. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, ultimately, you know, I, there probably hasn't been as sort of you know, probably since Hog in what twenty. When was he? Twenty ten or twenty eleven? Twenty twelve. Twenty twelve. You know, Hog Hog's debut off the bench for Wales, where he he came on and was was pretty unbelievable. I, I don't think there's been a de- debut since si- like that um, since mm. then. And you mm. know, I think ultimately, if you can kind of at twenty one away at Twickenham, appreciate there's no fans, deliver that sort of performance from from twelve. You know, he's clearly going to be plus sixty, seventy, eighty caps, and probably. You know that twelve position for a long period of time. One one of two breakthrough debuts that day with Big Dave Cherry, also yes. um, breaking breaking onto the oh, scene. Yeah. <laughs> three three tries to the good in his um in his his international career now. Um, From one star and three sub appearances, so he's not act- He's actually I think he's got a better record than one try every eighty. Cause I do, or it's he's he's around about yeah. one one try every eighty minutes because he's, it's, he's not he's not had them all off from uh, starting and, and his his try against his his um the critical try he scored against France with the ball sort of bobbled around and bounced off Xander Fagers in the back the pickup he makes and the reaction to catch that yeah. ball is is actually unbelievable it's if you like watch proper, it back um, at real at real yeah. pace it's insane how he picks that ball up that's like um like slip catching reactions it's it's yeah. nuts like it's falling towards pretty much picks it up at his knees and then i think the french players are like you definitely knocked that on and they kind of stop i mean when i was watching it i was like there's no they fucked that that is definitely a knock-on but i mean i think we were it was an interesting game in some senses that i think duhan's first try wasn't a try i think it was just a double movement and then i think Finn's red was probably quite harsh. So I I don't know if we were like due a bit of luck after the tournament, like after Ferguson's red card and things like that. Yeah. I do think like I don't know about Finn's red. I never like to get too much into the, the details. No, let's, of, let's let's of get head knocks it. and things like that. But let's it certainly looks that even the angle which Wayne Barnes was showing on screen, not the one that is sort of been flying around on social media. The first contact is at shoulder rather than at neck, and then he falls. Uh, Brice Dulan falls back, and that's when it goes up. But I think I it's. Uh, I think it was the perfect example of the of making the case for a orange card type thing, where I think in nine times out of ten, Finn Finn getting the ball at ten that close to the ruck, he has someone like. Audrey or Olivon in front of him and he knows that if he takes it to the line he's getting hit by a big lad and he's bracing himself and that elbow or forearm is hitting the guy nowhere higher than the chest 
it was just unfortunate that it was it was Brees Doolan who is a small guy. So it happens that you know the 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 image that yeah. the TMO was given was it was the throw, even though it, yeah, as you say, I kind of thought it was first with the shoulder and then a little bit in the throat. Yeah, no, I think you're I think you're pretty right in the sense you know ultimately as you when you when you're playing rug, rugby, you know a lot of the time you, you know so much so much stuff is just instinctive, and ultimately mm. he's got the ball looked up and someone is right in his face and he's just put out a hand to stop them and there's no intent around hitting them in the neck or the face, but ultimately just a mix of Doolan was slightly closer than he had anticipated. Doolan was upright and Doolan is a small guy <laughs> leads to a red card. And I appreciate that the whole point is you're trying to change these behaviors, but ultimately, you know, handing off is a, it's a pretty standard part of rugby still. So, and, and yeah. And, and that's the thing, like does, I would argue that a, a firm handoff, if you really connect with someone to the face, is is far more dangerous than that. For instance, 100%, 100% Pam Jonathan Davis Pam to the face. It's definitely oh. way more dangerous than there's like than that. Than that. Th- there's like the the force equivalent of you know a hundred kilograms plus coming through straight to your face. No, agreed. But alas, anyway, to be honest. It would have been a yellow card, probably, no matter what. Yeah, and yeah. it would have yeah. been the last ten minutes. So, and we won. So no one gets. And he's out. And now Finn's mm. out for the um for the Edinburgh for the Edinburgh game at the weekend. So yeah, <laughs> funny Edinburgh thing. Edinburgh clearly going to march. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for fifty to eighty percent less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. March on through um, Racing 92. Funny thing, just to know, just back to the Dave Cherry point. Dave Cherry's now scored the same amount of tries for Scotland as he has for Edinburgh. Yes, Cheza. <laughs> I, love, I love, I love the Dave Cherry story. It is great. Uh, another thing I realised today, um, Dave Cherry obviously came from Stad Niswa, which we talked about a lot. Yeah. And one of the women's assistant coaches is former Glasgow player Tyrone Holmes, who cut his teeth coaching. In the south of France, at Stade Niçois. Oh, it's Stade it's, it's actually oh. it's actually a conveyor belt. That's the thing we didn't realize. Well, if you it's listen like to Scottish the... rugby's version of like that famous Barcelona academy that just like keeps reeling off like messies. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you listen to the one latest Glasgow Warriors podcast, they interview Hamish Bain, who I think was out there with Dave Cherry. Yeah, and he talks about how like four of them went out. <laughs> 
and they they only trained like two or three times a week and they started having to like organize their own training because the coaches were like nah man you don't need to train anymore and they were like mm, like we're, we're we're really like still full of energy like we're not tired <laughs> so we're probably just going to do the training so not only that they also didn't have a gym <laughs> and then what genuinely they say in the podcast is Chris Leck, who was like the strength and fitness coach, yeah. then flew then flew out to the south of France, not only to give the Scottish guys like their own strength and conditioning training, but on the podcast, he says that Chris Leck then did a presentation to the Stade Nissois coaching team to take them through why strength and, additional strength and conditioning was important to team success. <laughs> <laughs> And like showing that it sounded like he's like showing them graphs. He's like, you do this amount of weight training equals Im- improvement in performance. And the French guys were like, no fucking way. This guy's on to something. I've got so many questions about the SRU due diligence process before <laughs> sending oh. this money to Stade Nussois. I know. It, what honestly, the hell happened? To be fair, I don't know where they like they wanted this sort of stuff to come out. The guy who's like doing the Warriors Weekly was like, uh... "Yeah, I, I couldn't believe how open he was. You think he would, given how much the SRU love to control this kind of thing, be like, oh, it's, it's done so much for my my development, etc." Yeah. Hamish Bain's contract's about to be, he just signed a new one, it's about to be cancelled. <laughs> I was the just moment. checking, um, speaking of Finn, you know who the, the reserve fly half is at Racing? Tran Duke? Yeah, Tran Duke. <laughs> so that's good. That's good news. Yeah, no. Well, uh, I mean, do we, do we want to go into Edinburgh? We, do we still... I was going to talk, we, we've kind of talked around the subject, Um but what has you know that Scotland campaign done for Scottish players Lions potentials? You know, I think is it fair to say, um, as an article in the Telegraph today did, that Stuart Hogg and Finn Russell, for example, Allen, are on the plane. I think the only person, maybe now it's changed the two. The only two people in the Scotland squad that can be guaranteed of a place, I was going to say Hogg and Watson. I still don't think that Watson is 100% guaranteed. Hogg guaranteed, no matter what. But the issue with Watson is they're going for this thinner squad, this slightly thinner squad, Mm. and he doesn't have that much versatility. I think Tom Curry is guaranteed to go, no matter what. I think he's ahead of Watson. Uh, just given performances over the last sort of two years, I appreciate obviously during the six, but even during the Six Nations, Curry's been pretty unbelievable. And so then that kind of leads you a little bit down the route of it's Watson v Tipperick. Now, I think Watson is a much better player than Tipperick, and I think Tipperick struggled a little bit, especially at that Lions level, both in, yeah. both in New Zealand and Australia. But Gatlin does like him. And I think people will, you know, Watson, I don't know whether that size thing is an issue for Watson. I I think after this Six Nations, and it's not just this Six Nations, right? He's been excellent for a number of years now. I think this Six Nations has secured his spot on the plane in a way that I still, that, that's different from Finn, for instance, where... <laughs> I could still see Finn not going at the expense of Farrell, Sexton, even bigger. No, I, I, I agreed. And I, I think um, 
I think the match against France, well, Finn had a pretty good performance, and I think that will play mm-hmm. play play to his chances quite well. Um, it's interesting. I think all the fly halves, you know, Farrell's probably been the weakest of the four, but I'd say all of them have had strong games and, and weak games. And again, maybe this is us a little bit focusing on Finn's weak games and focusing too much on Sexton's strong games. Although, to be fair to them, he was especially against sort of Scotland and England. He was he was fairly class. Um, I think Finn will go in the end, though, especially if Rasting make a big push in sort of the Champions Cup. Maybe as well, he benefits from... I, I think that Sexton, Farrell and Bigger are all pretty similar players. So yeah. would, does it make that big a difference if you pick two out of those three rather than all three of them? Probably not. Um, I mean, I, th- I think the guy who has potentially or, or really like pushed his case is is Duhan. I think that you just look at his stats and just the nature of the kind of player that he is. Um I think yeah, he does he, he does something that is there there's a lot of very good wingers in the Six Nations. But I think that you could argue that May um Adams even Reese Zammer and, and Anthony Watson are all quite similar players. I don't think Duham, particularly against England and France, when he was used as like an auxiliary back row forward, just shows that he offers something a bit different. No, I, I, I agree that I think Duhan brings... I, I think he, he, he brings something to that team that... Gatland has historically quite enjoyed as well. It's like a big, mm. a big strike runner that can come off sort of ten, or, ten or twelve, and um, it's just, it just. I, I know we don't want to go into this sort of conversation, but there is just something a bit strange about Duhan <laughs> competing for the Lions against South Africa. Um, but yeah, no. But I think... CG, so is CJ Stander, right? And I think he's yeah, pretty yeah, much guaranteed. I rules, think rules are the rules, aren't they? Yeah, yeah rules are the rules. Um, what I was, I was you... just looking through. I guess if we consider that Finn and Hoggy and maybe Duhan are, and Watson are sort of very close, if not sort of on, I guess peripheries. Guys like Rory Sutherland, he had a, he had a very strong, a very very strong tournament. Obviously picked up a bit of an injury in the last game. We don't know how serious that is, but knowing how much we do know about props. Do you think Roy Sutherland's got a good chance of going? I, I <laughs> to be honest, I I don't really know. It it feels like a lot with these props that it's there's a lot of players that are all on a sort of similar level, and they've all got their own sort of separate issues. Whether it's Mako in the scrum, or potentially Sutherland maybe not bringing as much around the park this, this in, during the Six Nations as he did the yeah. last Six Nations. Well, props that do that do make an awful lot around the park. You talked about Xander. Um, he's put himself into the conversation, would you say? I, I, th- I think so. I, I think he had a very good game against France. He was, he was very good against England as well. Um, I think France was an interesting one because the, the scrum seemed to go both ways. But 
it does feel like he kind of solved quite a few problems on the fly and started earning penalty for Scotland versus maybe at the start it was going the way of, of the French. Um, and I, I just think he's, he's the kind of guy that you could put into a Lions team and he would do really well. Like he does all the basics well. He's no nonsense. He's got a really good engine. Um, like I, I think that Furlong is the guy that's in the driving seat. Yeah. But, and, and Sinclair is obviously a really good player. But I, I feel as if Fagerson on form is, is, is playing better than him at the moment. And I, I think, yeah, maybe the Sinclair. The analysis this morning was that it's Fagerson and Thomas Francis are probably in a straight shootout for the third tight head spot behind Furlong yeah. and Sinclair. Mm. Yeah, and, and look, we're not, as you said before, we're not prop experts, but Francis does seem to be really highly valued by subsequent coaches now under Wales, by Gatlin and, and Pilak. Yeah. And I think he is solid at the scrum. And actually, I think like his, his rucking stats in the Six Nations are actually like really impressive for a guy who looks like a bit of a, a joke physically. <laughs> um, the, so, the other one... Say it to his face. Maybe yeah, to absolutely no we, chance. We talked about it a little bit. is obviously Fraser Brown and Rambo. Yeah. I think you look back to six months ago, and I think you know a conversation about hookers they would have been, both of those guys would have been in people's sort of top five, top six options for the Lions. And obviously they've been injured. Ken Owens has played well, but ultimately the rest, Jamie George, Cohen mm. Dickey, Herring, Kellier, none of them have played that well. But just because Brown and Rambo haven't been in the tournament, they've sort of seemed to have dropped out of the conversation quite a bit, even though Brown's back played really well at the weekend. Yeah, it it is a difficult one because I think if either of, of Brown or McAnally had played in that Scotland team, you know, I, I, it wouldn't have made much of a difference to how well they did. I don't think. Um, I still got a sneaking suspicion that Fraser Brown could make a bit of a push. I think he seems like the kind of player that Gallon would like, and I I think that as I say, Ken Owens is in that pole position. I think Jamie George has got enough credit in the bank to definitely go. But I, d- I actually don't rate Cowan Dickey that highly. I think that Fraser Brown is a better player than him. But I, d- I don't think many of these marginal calls are going to go the way of Scotland, unfortunately. I, I think the difficulty is with a guy like Cowan Dickey, he's probably going to go pretty deep into yeah. the Heineken Cup, probably pre- play a Premiership final or at least Premiership semis. Fraser Brown's probably going to get knocked out of the Challenge Cup against Montpellier on Friday night. You know, your oppor- it's an opportunity game, particularly if he's mm. coming back from that injury. Um, I think that's, it's, you know, I thought it was really interesting what BT was saying on the pod last week about that, all of those things having to go right. You know, form, opportunity, injury, all sort of coalescing around about that sort of six month lead up to a Lions squad being picked. I just think it's, mm. it's sadly gone really badly against both Rambo and, um, and Fraser Brown. Um, and I suppose, I mean, Johnny Gray, probably not going. Yeah. I think given 
the, again, the, the thinned out squad just adds the value of that those players that can play second row and six. So that's you. You got a Toji and Tag Burn, but also Ian Henderson, Henderson. so Courtney Laws, who potentially is going to be back for the Lions, and I think yeah. Gatlin knows pretty well. Um, I, I would be pissed off if Laws got selected ahead of Gray. Yeah, I I think although he's not as obviously not as versatile, I think Gray has shown enough in the last like two years of both club and international rugby to show that he would would merit a place ahead of him. I think it's fair. I, again, I've, I've I've got like a I don't know. I think he's Gray is so highly rated by a lot of people and the the fact that he's so highly rated by Exeter as well, it you know, he doesn't have to be picked by Rob Baxter. Like they've got a lot of, of very good second rows. That I, I think that might count a lot in his favour. Hopefully, I mean, you'd like to think that he's good. He's starting for his club. I appreciate the extra, a very good club. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. Um, Ali Price is the one that's mm. uh, one that's actually been chatted about more in the last few days than mm-hmm. than I than yeah. I'd expected. And again, I guess again, initially, I I thought potentially he he'd played himself out, not because he'd played badly. He probably had moments of his consistency. His consistency across the tournament. Was was a little bit lacking. He had sort of mm. some kind of probably poor poor performance and poor execution. But again, when you look at what else is on offer, there's nothing that's dramatically better than Ali Price. That's for sure. Yeah, that's the thing that the scrum half conversation is just swung around so much. Like you know, Connor Connor Murray wasn't even in the conversation. I wouldn't say at the start of the tournament, and now him and Sexton are maybe being penned into that starting fifteen. It's just, it's yeah, I, I don't know. I, I just, I worry that at key points in the tournament, he's made mistakes around like the the basics of, of scrum half play that, that Gatlin would like to see, just particularly kicking. And uh, it's not always been his fault, right? Like the, the charge down against Ireland was, he didn't have the blockers in place, but it seems as if he was maybe like panicked into a few of those yeah. decisions and just didn't show that like cool head that Gatlin will, will want in even in a midweek side. And I think to your point earlier, you know, if if Glasgow do get beaten by Montpellier this weekend, Price is gonna have very little opportunity mm. to sort of um change present the his, present his talents yeah. outside of the pack. Yeah. Whereas, you know, someone like Connor Murray, obviously Munster got to lose and in probably the biggest Champions Cup match this weekend, you know everyone's going to be watching it again. Conor Murray has a good game. Yeah, that's just him getting the momentum off the back of that England game, and and his his name kind of jumps to the top of the list, right? Mm. So it's always it's always it's going to be difficult for a lot of these. But then, yeah, but but then beyond that, like who are the other names? Like, I I don't feel as if any of the Welsh guys have like really nailed down. Oh, maybe Kieran Hardy will go. I don't know, but it. I would be disappointed if if Ben Youngs went ahead of Price. Like I would, I would maybe get it because he's more experienced. But Ben Youngs has been playing badly for a long time. Yeah, I I think even in that England team that got to the World Cup final, he was almost like the the weakest link. There's this, the weird scenario where there is you know I I could envisage a scenario where you had like three Irish nines. There's also a scenario where potentially you'd have three Welsh nines. <laughs> mm. 
You know, it's there really is a sort of big bulk of about eight or nine players who are all about the same level now. And and probably no world class, like proper world class nine in the home nations. Mike Phillips gets gets the call up to the Lions. Laidlaw in from Japan. Oh yeah. <laughs> He's still playing. Danny, yeah. Danny Kerr is trying to start I, his own hype train on the um BBC I was thinking that. Podcast. He like I actually think he's got an okay chance of going. <laughs> like, r- ridiculously. He is playing really well. Yeah. Anyway. Sam Hidalgo Klein. How good would that be? <laughs> That'd be narrative right there. He is He is in, like, he's in the Exeter shags, though. Yeah. He, he was last Sadly. season sort of on the bench for Exeter, but he seems to have dropped down to, like, not even yeah. being on the bench for the main games and sort of starting of being on the bench for the Shags now. Yeah, he was on the bench for the the mat because he like made a turnover mm. to like win. Yeah, yeah. Win the uh, either the, the Champions, Champions Cup. Cup or the Premiership. Yeah, it was Champions Cup. And then he just sort of dropped off a little bit. Well, there we go. Well, there we go. I mean, I think we've talked mostly. I think Duhan, we think is pretty close. Chris Harris, you would love to see it. Hmm. I suppose that thirteen jersey is another interesting one with just like players. But he he can he can um, money in the bank. But then he's got the versatility of being able to play like pretty much across the whole back line, and you know I I don't see him like realistically pushing for a test match spot. But like seems like quite a kind of Gatlin type player in a way, obviously that Hugh Jones would probably never be. No, I think. Harris has a chance. It's um, again, he, he you know he might have an issue with just the fact that he's in a really struggling Gloucester side as well. Yeah, and just mm. not have those mm. big moments. I guess there was a bit a of chat about in Cam Redpath. 13... Oh, yeah, yeah. No if way, Cam... Cam Redpath getting picked up, mate. How good would that be? <laughs> that would be amazing. <laughs> but it, but it's interesting because the I think the tw- the twelve spot apart from I, I think although Henshaw I think is a very limited player, he is an effective player. He's he's a nailed on tourist, I think. But beyond that, tournament, yeah. Like, I, I think it's it's quite an open field, actually. Yeah, I was just going to say on that thirteen jersey and talking about Harris's versatility, but you know, Slade's got an awful lot of versatility. George North, you could probably chuck in there as mm. a versatile option as well. So. He's not the only person, I suppose, that's probably in that conversation that can offer, uh, you know, multi positions. But I did I'm, see the, arg- the argument that Hugh Jones, um, the fact that he's played in South Africa, lived in South Africa, potentially a little bit less useful that they're going to be in sort of a bubble. But could could he on the on the hard pitches of Jewelberg get a get a look in? Just love that. Like- when Hugh Jones was like 21 as a student in South Africa, like cutting around in Cape Town, that somehow has given him like this amazing like <laughs> knowledge of what it's like playing on the high veld. Uh, you I, know, just, I, I yeah. don't really buy it. <laughs> Do you not think like um, Dear Lendy, who like, probably came across him at the same time as the Stormers, is like, this guy's a joke. Like, I will run, <laughs> I will run through this guy. He like has never tackled in his life. I'll I don't get think Dear Lendy be like, he's a joke. He's probably like, you know, we're pretty good mates, but I could probably beat him one on one most that, of the time. Yes, sorry. Not the easy <laughs> joke. Yes. Yes. 
Well, I think we've done we've covered an awful lot of lions there, and it is going to be a conversation that is going to be happening pretty much non-stop for the next six weeks until um, uh, Warren Gatlin names his team. So we will leave it there on um, Scotland and the Lions. Um, should we look ahead very very quickly at, to the European Games coming up this weekend? We talked about it very briefly there. Edinburgh against Racing 92. Racing shorn of Finn Russell, but Alan, can you see a way in which Edinburgh win this game? Let's start on a nice positive. So I, I initially said no, and I, and I still think that the chances are incredibly, incredibly low. But in terms of having a pack that should be able to compete at that level, you know, Edinburgh do have the man, <laughs> the men that. The, you know, the vast majority of the pack are are Scottish internationals and they are a team that have gone to Toulon, for example, and won away. You know, that starting pack at the weekend will, you know, potentially be what, Schumann, Cherry, um, Nell, Bergen, then you've got Toulist and Gilchrist, and then Richie, Watson, Matter, with maybe Haining, people like Haining on the bench, like that... Okay. Painting back to not play club rugby. Yeah. <laughs> that lyric, I'm done. You know, and I appreciate, you know, in the back line, it, there's going to be limitations, you know, Van der Volt, but they're going to have Duhan and Darcy back in, probably with Dean and Bennett in the centres. Look, I don't think Edinburgh are going to win the match, but I, I don't think it's impossible. And, you know, ultimately, with that Edinburgh team, the fact that they missed out on Champions Cup, They've been getting a bit of a pasting in the press. Could they back against the wall with all the internationals back in? I think they could put in a really good performance, and I don't think it's going to be a complete whitewash. So, so would you say, in answer to the question, could Edinburgh win, would your answer be potentially? <laughs> they will potentially almost certainly not win. Well, there you go. Matt, are you on board Wait, with sorry, the, so you... the potentially train? Wait, sorry, potentially, almost certainly not win. I don't, I don't <laughs> think that's really an answer in the end, actually. I think you might get pelters to that. Um, no, no, yeah. No, I, I think that, unfortunately, Edinburgh on a bit of a different track to when they did beat Toulon that year, almost beat Montpellier away right at the start and then beat Montpellier at home and had that really great run. I, I just think it's... Look, they have they have the the ability the the players to pull out a um a great performance, but the season's just been so disjointed, and those internationals are coming into a team who have been losing a lot of games. You know, not the the, the vibes, not the greatest. It, it doesn't seem. Um, but then, you know, Rassing without Finn, I think obviously Tranduke is has been a very good player in the past but he is getting on a bit and it does seem as if for for Rassing to fire properly where they would tear apart Edinburgh at home Finn is a really key part of that so I wouldn't completely write them off but I'm not you know holding my breath over it spread is 14 points was actually lower than I thought it would be yeah Edinburgh to beat the spread is that Alan's um, Alan's outside bet? 
I'm not honestly, mate. I'm not giving any more bets anymore. I am <laughs> funneling cash every what, week. What was your um? What was your bet for France? Your prediction for the France game? My prediction was um over sixty points, and for France to win by around ten. <sighs> mate. Yeah, it's been tough, mate. BT got it spot on. He was Scotland by four, wasn't he? Mm. That bastard. Do you hear his um his commentary? His commentary is very good overall on the ITV. Uh, and then he did this like when Finn Russell got sent off. It was a proper like gasp where he was like, "I can't believe this is happening." And then when Duhan got the ball right at the end, he was absolutely loving it. It was really really good actually. Yeah. He's in the yeah. He's in the background behind the Irish that Irish bloke. Um, yeah, doing yeah. The commentary. Who, to be yeah. fair, the, the Irish lad was loving it as well. Oh yeah, I mean that after eighty minutes section was madness. Like when Dylan. Should we shout out for um, Ryan Wilson on his fiftieth? Oh, we should. I mean, fair play to him. Oh. Did you see his on his Instagram the morning after? He looked absolutely fucked. <laughs> <laughs> well, he was saying that. I think they they'd stayed up until seven a.m. Uh, the next morning, wherever they were. Hopefully, it kind of fins flat, and that Townsend had gone to bed at like six or something. I was like, bloody fair play. I think it was. I don't know if it was in. I read a piece by by one of the Scottish rugby hacks. I can't remember who it was, but they said that Townsend looked very dusty when he tipped up for the <laughs> um, the press conference in the morning, and he had said. I made the mistake of trying to keep up with Ryan Wilson, <laughs> which I thought was, uh, what was, I thought was good. You know, we've yeah. come a long way since two beer gate that Tooney's just out on the smash and making light of it in the press. I mean, uh, yeah. And we were, we were talking about this before we put it out. I put it out on Twitter um, because of a question asked by my father-in-law who I thought I'd give a wee shout out to. Um, the last time that we had beaten France, and England away in the same like five or six nations tournament, which was 1926. That is mad. Like that's a so that's an occasion to celebrate. hundred oh, percent. Yeah. Um, we've we've we got we've got very very sidetracked from Edinburgh and um, Racing 92 there, um, quite rightly so. But um, Glasgow, as we've touched on there, also um, playing in European rugby action this weekend. Montpellier. Um, who are sort of swilling around the bottom of the uh, top 14. Um, Matt, they've still got a pretty handy squad, though. But Glasgow, all of their internationals back, perhaps with a few players you know, playing to put themselves in the lines um, window. Can you see them doing a job in Montpellier? Yeah, Montpellier have been struggling this year, but then they did just beat Toulouse away from home last weekend so Good. they're coming off a bit of the high you know my, my only worry is that Glasgow historically over the last like you know four or five years even under Dave Rennie against teams that can physically dominate them like a Saracens for instance in, in the pack haven't done so well and yeah Montpellier aren't playing well but they seem to have the kind of team that could do a number on on, on a lot of other guys uh, physically. So, yeah, they're not, not playing well. Maybe got some guys like the Duplessis brothers who are a bit over the hill, but they could still do a job on Glasgow. But 
you know, it, it does seem as if there's an increasingly positive vibe at Glasgow with some of the youngsters coming through, some decent results. And then you add to that the returning internationals. Like, as you say, with a bit of Lions motivation, why not? Yeah, that backline mix of internationals and youngsters is is pretty banging. So, Price of Horn and then Hastings, Johnson, uh, Hugh Jones, and then we've got Rufus McLean and people like Ollie Smith in the back three. It's it's quite exciting. I, I guess actually, you know, to be fair, do they keep Ross Thompson at ten and yeah, sling sling Hastings to fullback? Yeah, I thought I thought I think um, Thompson. Since that, uh, where he made his debut against Edinburgh, where he maybe looked a bit sheepish in attack, like taking the ball a bit deep. Since then, like he's, his confidence obviously grown and his ability to take the ball to the line is, is really impressive, actually. So with, with Johnson and Hugh Jones outside him and someone like Ali Price inside him, like it, it would show kind of a, a willingness to, to take the game to Montpellier, which would be quite nice to see. Hundred percent. Have you seen the photos of um, Sam Johnson's dyed his hair peroxide yeah, yeah. blonde, like oh. Adam Hastings today? He looks absolutely terrible. <laughs> nice. He might have done that like on Saturday morning at like four a.m. Yeah. I reckon. It's been like, oh, here's to. I want to. I want to look like you. How do you get that look? So like, I'll, I'll show you. <laughs> well, that'll be a good one. A good, nice way to start. Nice way to start the Easter weekend. Bit of Friday night European rugby, um, Glasgow versus Montpellier. And then just after you've had your sort of roast dinner on, on Sunday, Edinburgh um, against Racing 92. Not what, what time are you having your roast top. dinner, mate? The game kicks off at 12.30. I thought it was later. Looks like I'm having a roast dinner at 11 a.m. <laughs> if, you, if, you, if you combine the roast dinner with Alan's, like, what, four cans before kickoff, Four cans and a, and a glass of rouge. Like that's actually that works out quite well. Yeah, actually, yeah. Bit roast, roast beef lamb with the red and four cans of tisky. <laughs> four cans of tisky because it's a European weekend, not tennis. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, we will be back next week to talk about all about that. Alan, I believe you have a a little quiz. Do we want to do the it? Ultras who stayed yeah, with that's... us throughout this whole episode. We might all as well right. do it now. I've been going for about five hours, so yeah, that's been... fair. I feel like we're on the Joe Rogan experience. We're into like hour four. <laughs> we're just like talking be... complete nonsense. <laughs> All right. I've got you, three... you guys heard of CBD? Oh, cool. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, got three three questions. First one, nice and easy. Both of you can give uh, give your answer. There has been one player in the Scotland team who has played all 400 minutes in the Six Nations this year. Who is that Yuck. player? One, hmm. according to the pro, the Six Nations website, just to cover myself. That's actually a better, you know, reference point than your usual quizzes. To be fair. Yeah. Um. Who's both got? You going shoot hog, Dave? Matt, who have you got? Excluding the ten he spent in the bin, but. Well, that uh, that that it makes it so he couldn't oh, so played the four hundred minutes. Yeah, so, <laughs> sorry, yeah. I just wondered if they didn't count because he wasn't substituted. Well, um, you, you could have you could have asked the question pre-answer. Yeah, I've made a fool of myself there, as ever. Um, I'm not going for Hoggy then. I'm going to go for Hamish Watson. Fuck it. 
Matt? Yeah, that that was my first instinct. Um, I'm going to go... I'll, I'll make it interesting. I'm going to go for Doohan. So... Hamish Watson has played 386 minutes out of 400. I think he got subbed in the Italy game, um, if I remember correctly. Obviously, Hogg had 10 minutes in the bin, and Duhan is the only player who played all 400 minutes across the the six, Six Nations, which is interesting. And I can tell you, I can actually tell you all the other players. So there is eight other players. In obviously the in the um, in the five other teams, none from Italy, who have played um, 400 minutes, and that's Resamit, Dulan, Curry, which is interesting, Tipperich as well, Itoji, Johnny May, Chris Ol- Olivon, and uh, wait, Charles Olivon, not Chris. Chris Olivon, <laughs> old Chris <laughs> Olivon, and Hugo Keenan, which was kind of a random one. That is a really uh, random one. Uh. So there you go. All right, one nil to to Matt. There have been nine Scotsmen to score a try in this Six Nations. Who are they? Dave, you can go first. Duhan van der Merwe. Top try scorer with five, Matt. Um, Hamish Watson. Hamish Watson with Uno try. Dave Cherry for the Lions with three. Correct. He's got three. Darcy Graham. Darcy Graham has got two. That's correct. Hoggy. Hoggy with two. Hugh Jones. Jonesy with two. Steely. Steely with uh, Uno. Uh, Sam Johnson. Sam Johnson with one. We've got one left. Oh, God. And this is now just a free-for-all. Um... Um, forward or back? Any guesses? Forward or back? Back. You pick it, Finn against Ireland. Yeah, of course he did. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, well done. Um. Yeah. Ah, so f- one all. Very happy with that. Or however many I got right. Five. <laughs> And then <laughs> I've got a really weird niche one. So okay. out of the out of the Pro 14 um, head coaches, what? Who are the? <laughs> Excuse me. How did you get here? I've, literally, I probably know the Scotland head coaches, and that is about it. <laughs> um, how many coaches have coached? I don't know why I'm asking this. It seemed really interesting at the time, but now it seems really sort of boring. This is a test for who's still with us. What? Um, how many coaches outside of Edinburgh and Glasgow have coached in Scotland, and who are they? <laughs> current head coaches. Head coaches. Current head coaches at Pro Fourteen clubs. How many? Oh, have, I've got. I've got one. Had a previous history of coaching at either Edinburgh, Glasgow, or Scotland. I've got one. And who are they? Yeah, I've got one. D- Dean Ryan. Well, I was kind of going to give you a bit of a second to kind of... Dean Ryan's not the one I had, though. <laughs> so I wanted you to kind of take a, take maybe 20 seconds just to consider the question. There's the Ulster, the Ulster guy. Lads, this, isn't, this is a competition. 
Yeah, I know, but it's but my an- my answer my answer was Dean Ryan. Yes, but the the point was that I was asking you to sort of contemplate it. No, oh, right. there three. Oh, shit. Sorry. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> well, there's then, only three. I, and now I've said there's three. Fuck. But no, you didn't tell us how many there were. So well, what the fuck? Because <laughs> that was part of the question. <laughs> this is a shambles. This is a shambles. Right. It's one all. I'll give you Dean Ryan and I'll give you the Ulster lad, Dan McFarlane. Dan McFarlane. Who's would, the third one? got there in the end. Has anyone got the third one for the win? Um, no. Which ex, which uh, ex Edinburgh coach? Uh, Michael Bradley at Zebra. Is he still there? Michael Bradley what? at He's Zebra. Still there. <laughs> yeah, he's been there for ages. He's been given the three-year run. They wanted to they wanted to play out the full cycle to see if he could. Uh... It's like Michael, you finished twelfth again. You finished fourteenth. Like another three years. Are Zebra, be- Zebra better than Benetton this year? Yeah, I think they are, yeah. I think because Benetton have had a bit of a shocker. Interestingly, yes. as, part, as part of the research, uh, Sean Everett, who is the uh, Sharks coach, I did note that he went to Dundee High School. But he went oh, to really? Dundee High School in the north of um, in Natal. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, no, not, not Tayside. <laughs> different school. <laughs> that would be a contract mix-up. Yeah, I know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Dundee yeah, I You're know. off to Dundee. <laughs> There's that guy, um, Clark Laidlaw, who was, or still is, New Zealand Sevens head coach. Yeah. And is he Laidlaw's cousin? Uh, I can't remember. Uh, yes, yes, cousin. So I feel like NZ Sevens coach. That's like a nice life. There's less churn at Sevens. Like a lot of them seem to have like gigs for a long time. Yeah. So, and being New Zealand Sevens coach, just like the the amount yeah, of win. Yeah. It's like win record. It's like ninety five percent. Oh, cool. You must be good. Like yeah. So uh, nice. Is, cool. is that the quiz over? Yeah, that is that is the quiz over. So I think Matt won there in the end, probably, I, I, with I, Michael Bradley, the tiebreaker. Maybe. Pot- potentially, Matt definitely won. <laughs> well, we'll take that. How long well, do we go for you. there? Huh? How long do we go for there? I don't know, actually. The clock on Zoom isn't um, isn't showing, so I'll, I'll know. We've been going for a wee while, though, so I think we should end the episode mm. and put everyone out of their misery and remind them to follow us on social media at ThistleRugbyPod on Twitter, ThistleRugbyPod on Instagram, um, and sign up to our newsletter, Substack Thistle Scottish Rugby Podcast, and we will be back to speak to you very soon. Thank you very much. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Geeky Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. 
Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.